Father God, thank you for your word. May it change our hearts and lives today. Thank you for music. Music that speaks to the truth of who you are and how we should respond. Thank you, Father God, for our children. The truth they're going to be taught upstairs right now. Thank you so much for our wonderful volunteers who give of themselves to serve you week in and week out to care for and love on our children. Bless them greatly, Lord. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All righty. Well, thank you, Darren, for reading this morning out of 2 Thessalonians 1.3. This morning you may have been kind of wondering, well, why are we reading out of 2 Thessalonians? I we were, thought we were going to be going into Exodus. We, we threw a little curveball this morning. We're going to take a break from Exodus for three weeks, and it's very appropriate where we left off in Exodus. We left off in Exodus just as the Israelites were passing through the Red Sea. Remember that? God had called the Israelite people to be his children. They are to be the children of God. They are to be his chosen people, his nation. But there was a problem with the Israelites. They had spent 430 years in slavery and in captivity. They thought of themselves as worthless, less than human, slaves. How was God going to transform their identity, understanding that they are no longer slaves but free? They're no longer weak but mighty. They're no longer a people who are left in devastation, but a people most favored and most treasured by God. Well, he's going to put on a display of his might and his work that is glorious. He opened up the Red Sea, and the Israelites walked through. Leaving behind the Egyptian army, and the army pursued Israelite into the sea, and, and they ended up dead on the shore. What a powerful picture for the Israelite people to see the dead bodies of the Egyptians wash up on the shore and realize, I am free. Not because of the work that they had done, but because of the work of God. God had called them to this new identity in him. They are to be his people set apart for his purpose to worship him. And we recognize that as children of God, as Christians, as people who follow Jesus Christ, we too have an identity change. That we go from previously not knowing God, being apart from God, aliens from God, strangers, to being people of the family of God. He transitions, he changes our identity. And because he transition, transitions, if I can get that word out right correctly today, and he changes our identity, guess what? If our identity is changed, then how we live is changed. At Livingstone Church, we desire to be a spiritual home. We desire to be a spiritual house where Jesus Christ is sought and celebrated. We desire to, to reach this valley, that every person in this valley, we have this crazy wild vision that every person in this valley cannot escape, but cannot avoid, but rather bump into people who are living out their lives for Jesus Christ, their identity in Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Now that's a pretty big goal, don't you think? But hey, 
we got a pretty big God. Amen? And that's what we desire. And so we see this being accomplished. We see that mission and that vision being accomplished through our four Gs, and that's our gather. And when, when we gather together, we desire to seek and to celebrate the sacred. I love that word, sacred. The holy things, the scriptures, the theology, the, the doctrines, the teachings of God, the taking communion together, baptism. We celebrate those things and we gather together and we get excited about it. I'm still not over Easter, okay? I'm still flying high from Easter. Ten baptisms in our church family. I'm just, and I hope you're not either. I hope you're not over that. I hope we're all like, yeehaw! I mean, we have God's doing great things, okay? And we keep that excitement going because guess what's happening next Sunday? Another baptism. Another baptism. <laughs> and I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for some people to join Bill. Bill shouldn't be the only one enjoying the coolness of our lake in May especially on Wednesday when the temperature is supposed to be, the high is supposed to be 58. So it ain't going to warm up for him, okay? And we're going to be in there together, brother, okay? We need some more people. I mean, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and have not followed in obedience to baptisms, hey, let next Sunday. Come see me this week. Talk with me. I'm excited. Next Sunday, right after this service, we're walking down to the lake, and Bill's getting dunked. Amen? Amen. Going to live out that identity in Jesus Christ. I want to share with you a story this morning, a little bit, of, it's a story of kind of my, my family history, where I began. Most of you know that I started in Nebraska. Um, it was pretty funny when we came here to, um, to candidate for me to be the pastor here. At the close of the last thing that we were doing, there was a big fellowship hall meeting, and um, they were, anybody was supposed to ask me questions, and I think the last question they asked me, Huskies or Cougars? And I said, Huskers. And they mistook me. Some of them said, I said, Huskies. And they started cheering. I said, no, Huskers, the, the corn Huskers. So, you know, I'm, I'm originally from Nebraska. We began there. So, some humble beginnings. My parents were farmers and, and cattle folks. Um, didn't have a lot of money. It was a family ranch that was handed down. Um, in fact, it hit the point where we had to sell everything we had on the farm in order to break even and leave the farm and pursue life somewhere else. So we moved to Colorado, where my dad went to school at night at Colorado Aerotech to get his AMP ticket, being an aircraft maintenance mechanic, and worked during the day as a welder. And my mom worked nights at the, at the VA hospital to send us to Christian school to take care of us and meet the needs of our family. Didn't have a lot. Um... I remember great, great presence was like moving in next door and there's an older kid next door. And, and my parents, would, you know, would ask, say, hey, what do you do with their clothes, that, you know, when they're outgrown them? And they're like, well, we just give them away. And like, hey, you know, we'd love to have them. And I remember I was the coolest kid. That we had a really cool kid next door. He was a big guy, tall. And, it's like, and he gave me his jeans. And he was like, like a foot taller than me. And I was determined to wear those jeans, right? And you remember peg leg? You remember, come on, who peg leg? Uh, a few of us, oh my goodness. So that's where you wrap your jeans over and you roll them up. Well, these were so long when they rolled my head like this bun around my leg, right? I thought it was so cool. Kids laughed at me. But I mean, we didn't have a lot. But it was really cool growing up. And then we left Colorado to go to Arizona. And, and then all of a sudden, I remember that day when mom was working days at the hospital and dad was working days. And we're all gathered around the table at, at dinner time and we're kind of looking at each other like, hi. This is kind of weird. But... 
again, you know, mom and dad weren't wealthy. We didn't have a lot of possessions as far as comparison to other, but more than some. But what was really cool about it in our home was, is that whoever came into our home, I mean, as a kid, I never thought I went without. I remember when I got our first Atari gaming system, it was, nine, it was the old Atari, like the original Atari. It, when I got it, with like the, the tank thing and Pong, and you, you anyone remember that? Okay. Um, I was, it was like 1989, okay? And so you understand, by that time, Sega was out, Nintendo, I mean, everything was out, and we got the original Atari. I thought it was so cool. Um, but, you know, my parents, we did, but, you know, I never thought I went without. Um, and I think the reason why was because whoever came into our home, we always cared for and fed. Uh, my friends were always welcome over. I never heard my parents say, don't invite your friends over. We're running low on food. In fact, when my friends came over, my parents would love to engage with them. My dad, uh, he kids quite a bit. And so he always gave people a hard time. And that's, I think that's why Christy and, and my dad got along so well when she came over. And I was dating Christy. And, and he, she just gave her a hard time. And she liked that. And so they got along really well. In fact, I still think to this day, this isn't going to happen. But if, 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 if she had a cho- he had to choose between me and her, he would probably choose her. Um, but I mean, engaged. My mom engaged my friends. I mean, my mom worked with the youth group. My dad worked with the youth group. It was really cool. They were very intentional with my friends. They were very intentional with us and how they engaged us, how they taught us. They, they shared scripture with us. I remember going through character sketches as kids, um, listening to Christian radio. I remember just my mom and dad pouring into us and making time to pour into us and talk about God. And I'm really grateful for that, that story, that, that start in my life. Because I, hopefully I get, I'm doing that with my family, but even more so, I get to do that with this family. That we get to be a family that intentionally is a part of each other's lives. So we have our four Gs, gather, go, give, and grow. And we're going to spend the next three weeks talking about give. Now, for those of you who just, when I started, when I said give, are fighting the urge to cover up your wallet, don't worry, we're not going to talk about that today. Well, giving of our, of our tithes and offerings is part of giving. It's not the sum total of giving. And I really want to make that very clear this morning. This morning, we're going to talk, I want to share with you a little bit, and I'm going to move ahead here. And our, it's, for those of you who remember, how many was the last time you read a dictionary? I homeschooled my daughter, and so that's why I read a dictionary every once in a while. So um, it, it, this is going to get some good practice this morning, okay? It's going to look a lot like a dictionary this morning, going back to English class. We um, have a wonderful marketing team here together at Livingstone Church who put together and has revamped our, our mission and our vision and our four Gs. And we have made the following statement together, that we encounter the story of God through intentional availability Passions that build up in eternal investments. And so when we talk about giving at Living Stone Church, I want us to begin to think about and wrestle with this definition. Okay? We encounter. I love the word encounter. Encounter carries with it this idea of unexpected experience. An unexpected experience. It's really cool. This thing happens that we weren't planning to happen But it happens. And that when we encounter the story of God's abundance, when we give, things happen to us that we weren't planning on, right? 
We were like, man, I was expecting that God would bless me or would do this for me, but it wasn't that way at all. God did this for me. I never saw that I needed that, but whoa, what, how cool that is. Or we grow in our faith and we, we see God in a whole new light. And what's really cool is that the, the basis of this definition is founded in the story of God. It's founded in the story of God. It's founded in who God is. Now, we've been talking about that as, as people of God, we are identified in God. And so that we're identified in, in, in God's story. And I very briefly want to run through the, the Bible. We're going we're gonna to go from Genesis to Revelation. You ready? Buckle up. Here we go. And, 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 Gen, and the Old Testament, the way Christians divide up, the New Testament people divide up the Old Testament, is we tied it up into historical books, wisdom literature, and prophetic books. And the historical books, I'm going to give you a brief glimpse, okay? Look at the story of Genesis, okay? God created Adam and Eve, beautiful place, amazing place. Adam and Eve rebel against God. God has every right at that moment to hit the smoke button and start over, but he doesn't. Out of the abundance of God, uh-oh, get ready for this, he curses them. What? How is a curse a blessing? Because in the midst of his curse, he says, and out of the woman's seed will come one that will crush the head of the serpent. He gives them hope. God could, they didn't deserve hope. They deserved devastation. They deserved hell. God gives them hope. God's abundance. We look at, look at the, the Israelites, right? 430 years of captivity. They come into Egypt with about 70 some people. How do they exit? Six. 100,000 men plus women and children. God's abundance. And, and then they, they're, they're penniless. They're broke in Egypt, right? They're slaves. And how do they exit? Millionaires. As they take the possessions of the, Israel, of the Egyptians away from them because they're just going to give them to they plundered Egypt. So cool. We see that, that story of abundance go. I mean, you think of the story of Esther. You think of the story of Ruth. You think of these, all these amazing stories of God's abundance over and over and over to God's people. You look in the book of Judges, right? If a people deserve to be smoted, it's in the book of Judges, right? And God still rises up judges to help them overcome their enemies and have this amazing understanding of who God is and see God work in their midst. And God blesses. He is an abundant God. We look, move forward into the wisdom literature in Proverbs. Oh, boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Mom and dad might want to plug some of your kids' ears. One of my favorite books in the wisdom literature is, is Song of Solomon. Okay, I love Song of Solomon because a great image of, to me of God's abundance in my life is my wife. And the Song of Solomon teaches me how to just love my wife and cherish the wife of my youth. Oh, my goodness, how beautiful is it is such an amazing, amazing book. What a great picture of God's abundance. Adam said of Eve, wow, look at her. That is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. God gave us this incredible marriage relationship to see God's abundance before us every single day. And let me tell you something right now. If your marriage is not a place of God's abundance and seeing God abound, get some help. Men, take your pride and stuff it and get some help so that your marriage can be an abundant place again. God made our relationship as husband and wife to be amazing and beautiful. 
And if you need prayer for that this morning, please come see myself, come see an elder, and we can pray over you and, and begin to guide you in leading that the, you get to see the story of God's abundance in your married life. And we also see in the prophetic books, Israel sinned and, and messed up, and God continues to tell you, like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send this nation to conquer you. But every time he sends a nation to conquer them, he reminds them of the future hope that is going to be provided for them. I mean, poor Jeremiah, right, continually tells them that, that they're going to get devastated. They're going to get destroyed. That guy gets beat up over his message, but he remains true to the message. But God brings his message of, of judgment, and always with the message of judgment is the judgment of hope. They're never, because God is going to do this so that you can be restored, so that you can once again follow him and be in him. There's this message of hope. Abundance, God, just all over the places. And then we come into the New Testament where the message of hope goes to exponential proportions. When in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Gospels, Jesus Christ steps onto the scene. Why do I love Christmas so much? Because it's hope on drugs. Every year, four weeks, we get to spend talking about hope, joy, love, and peace because Jesus Christ has come. Man, no wonder the angels cried out. No wonder the shepherds ran off to see Jesus. No wonder the wise men traveled. I mean, this was an amazing celebration. Hope, abundance just poured out. In the history of the early church, oh, look at the abundance. God, God does something that's so cool. You got to love this. On the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, the church is like maybe, let's go, 70, 100 people. Then all of a sudden it becomes thousands overnight. If that's not God's abundance, God's just saying, I'm going to show off. Bing. Here's the church. And all of a sudden, Peter and Paul, and I mean, Peter and, and, and John and, and, and the, 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 James, and they're standing around going, oh, we're in trouble. Deacons, deacons, we need some deacons. We need some help. God's abundance, and we see in the general letters and in Paul's letters of because of God's abundant relationship with each one of the people, he is calling us to a life that looks different, and the churches are supposed to be a part of their community, serve their community, serve one another. And finally, and you may wonder about this, one of the greatest books of God's abundance. And I've joked as a church family, it was semi-joking, that you'll always know in my time at Livingstone's almost over because I'll start a series on Revelation, okay? But it's one of the greatest books of seeing God's abundance. I can't believe we miss it when we study that book. I mean, Jesus comes back like, Ugh. I mean, he's a white horse. I mean, just, and he's coming to establish his kingdom forever. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, this book is just abundant. Hope, joy, love, grace, peace, mercy. I mean, just, ah, screams out of the book. From Genesis to Revelation, we just did it. You wore out, you're tired yet? We're not going home yet, so don't think it, it's over. Abundance. God's abundance. And so if we talk about being identified in God, being identified in Jesus Christ, then when we give, we enter, that, enter into that story of God's abundance. And the three ways we give at Livingstone Church, the first is intentional availability. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Intentional availability. The next way we give is we give of our passions that build up. We'll talk about that next week. And in three weeks, or two weeks from today, Mike Moore is going to preach on eternal investments. We give you those three things when we look at entering, and when we talk about giving, 
as we encounter the story of God. So let's dive into this idea and this understanding of intentional availability. When we talk about intentionality, it is something that is done deliberately and with purpose and with design. When we give of ourselves, we should do it with intentionality, with this purpose, with this design that we're going to intentionally do what, but pursue what God is calling us to do and pursue. When we look at our week, right? When we think about our week, does God even have a place on our calendar? Is he intentionally, are we intentionally putting God on our calendar? Are we making ourselves available? And not just to God, but to serve God, to give our, ourselves for God. And we think, oh yeah, I got, my, I got my time with God scheduled in the morning. I got my time scheduled with God in the evening. Absolutely, I've got, I've got that personal time with God. What about serving God? What about giving of yourself to God? Is that on your calendar? And, and when we talk about intentionality, we do so with this understanding of being available. Now, in our busy lives today, that is a scary word. What do you mean, available? That means that there's white space on my calendar. I think I'm getting dizzy. We've got everything so locked in, and our meetings are, oh, I hope I get out of that meeting in time, because if I don't get out of that meeting in time, you know, our classes, schoolwork, homework, all the things that we're doing in our, our youth in this room are, are doing and involved in, and in our college students. We, our lives are so jam-packed that when we talk about intention availability, some of your heart rates just picked up 20 beats per minute. Why would I talk about intentional availability in regards to giving? Tom Dunbar, many of you know who he is, an amazing man of God. If you don't know who Tom is, you need to get to know Tom. Tom is a man who spent over 30 years on the mission field, he usually attends our first gathering. Tom is an inactive elder in our church. He is a man of great prayer, of great wisdom, of great insight. Tom gave me a list of the one another passages in Scripture. There's quite a few of them. I believe there's over, if I remember my numbers correctly, there was over 60. Over 60 one another passages in the New Testament. Paul And Tom gave me a list when I first came here of, one, of, these, of these things. And he said, Scott, you, you know, as a pastor, you should become familiar with these. And I said, yeah, Tom. Oh, yeah, sounds like a good idea. And, and, and the young buck that I am, I, I can't find that piece of paper anywhere. And so Tom and I were talking on Monday night, and I said, Tom, those one and other verses are coming back to my mind in regards to of giving of, our, of ourselves, of being intentionally available. And he goes, I said, do you have another copy? And he said to me, he goes, you know, the only reason I made that copy is for people who don't want to do the hard work. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> I needed to hear that. And so that's what I did this week. I dove in and researched the New Testament. and I cheated a little bit. I've got a great Bible program that I can search by the original language and, and Pulled up all the verses. It was so wonderful. I, I think I read through each one of those verses ten times this week. And as I was reading through them, there seemed to be some categories that developed. And we're not going to go through all of them this morning. You can not be so worried. And as I was going through these, I began to understand something. 
there's a huge expanse between knowing that I am a child of God and knowing I'm a child of God. In the Greek language, and I don't use Greek, just look at how smart I am, please don't think that whatsoever, but I just I think it's this is a good understanding for you. Gnosko is a word that is sometimes, again, you use context to define terms, so I don't want to just make a general generalizations out of these terms, but gnosko can be used oftentimes of just general knowledge. I know of something. I know that right now the skies are probably cloudy, right? Because unless I just came in late and they're now like because it was cloudy this morning, or I know the lake is blue, right? Um, I know that the water is probably cold right now. But on Sunday, I'm going to get to Epigonosco, the water. I'm going to get to experience the coldness of that water, right? It's one thing to say, I know the water's cold, but I'm never going in it. It's a whole other thing to say, that water's <laughs> cold, right? You experience it. When we talk about our identity in Jesus Christ, we know that, I know, okay, God died on the cross for my sins, and I've got this knowledge of God that I'm now a child of God, but God doesn't want our knowledge of it to, to stop there. He wants us to experience, to live out that identity in him. And so when we give and we make ourselves intentionally available, we start living out that identity who we are in Jesus Christ. So the three categories that we're going to talk about this morning, the first one, in your notes, if you're following along in your notes, is the intentional availability to serve. Philippians 2, 3. Philippians 2, 3. Where most of our texts of scripture we're going to read this morning are out of the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It reads, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So we see that in order for us to begin to serve one another, we've got to serve one another with this, that, that comes out of this attitude of our heart that is, that is humble. And so some of us, our natural response and our natural reaction when we hear something like that, okay, what book do I need to read on humility? Or what's the 10 steps to humble my heart? Or... When what we should be doing is going, okay, Jesus was humble. How was Jesus humble? Well, he took on the sins of this world. And he died for us. He, he walked this earth subjecting himself to the very creation that he made as they mocked him and scorned him. They questioned him. They jeered him. And they sought to kill him. He served with a bunch of disciples who were some knuckleheads who kept trying to get in the powers of position or, or, or prohibit him from his mission. And he was patient with them. And he led them and he taught them and he discipled them and he died for us. If we're to say that our identity is in Jesus Christ, then we take on, we want to be humble like he was humble. And Jesus looked at all of us as we were, and he loved us, and he died for us while we were yet sinners. So it forces us then in turn when we look at each other and we look at the world that God has placed us in, we are not to place ourselves above them, but rather desire to serve them. 
The attitude of humility is something that if we are identified in Jesus Christ, we have. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us as we identify in him. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, see that no one repays evil for evil. Now, have you ever noticed the superlatives in Scripture? Now, here I'm going back to, again, an English class, right? Superlative. Anybody know what a superlative is? No, no. Uh, superlative is like language that is far surpasses, like always, never, superlative language. I wish God wouldn't use superlative language so much in Scripture. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another. Not sometimes. I wish I would have liked that passage a little better if he would have said sometimes. Or when I feel like it. Or when it's convenient for me. But he doesn't say that. He says always. Okay, well, if it's just for the church family, if it's just for the one another's in Scripture and the body of Christ, okay, I can do that. Oh, wait a minute. That's not the rest of the verse. And to everyone. Doggone it. Maybe just the Christians, but that, that, that not yet believer that I'm just really struggling to deal with, him too? Do good to him? What does that even look like? But if our identity is in Jesus Christ, look what Christ did. Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, God, Jesus Christ could have called down a ball of fire and smoked them. But he answered their questions. He had Judas walk alongside of him all that time, knowing full well what he was going to do. And Judas was given the ability to cast out demons. This is crazy. Jesus exemplified this. If our identity is in Christ, then guess what? We have to desire to do good to everyone and to one another. That just doesn't happen, does it? You just don't. You've got to think about it. You've got to have this heart that desires to love Jesus because if we go on our natural inclinations, our natural inclinations is to wake up out of bed two or like seconds before the alarm goes off or a little later after the alarm goes off. We're grumpy. We're grouchy. We had to get up too early. We just want to go through the day, right? Deal with the kids, get off of school, right? And you know, have this ugly heart. But Jesus is commanding us, God is commanding us in the scriptures to do good to everyone. All the time. Now that's very overwhelming. Amen? <laughs> but if our identity is in God, we have this opportunity to live this way. First Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There's, there's several other verses that go in line with this that talk about greet each other with the holy kiss. Um, now that's a cultural thing. Anybody from France? I didn't think so. Great. So no one, no one be kissing my wife, okay? So this is the deal. What is the intention behind this, right? What is going on here? God is commanding through the Holy Scriptures that we are to be excited, to be encouraged by seeing one another. We are to welcome each other into our homes. We're to feed one another. We're to care for one another. We're to spend time with one another. Hospitality.
I won't have anybody raise their hands, but in the military, we've got this terminology called ducking a salute. Any military people here? No, no ducking a salute is okay. This is ducking a salute. Here comes an officer, and all of a sudden, officer, boom, right? You're running over here, right? You're getting away because you don't have to salute the officer. I don't know what the big deal is. It's not that much of an exercise. I don't know. Did you do an arm workout this morning? You want to do it? But ducking a salute. So you run away from a salute. You know what? I, I'm guilty of this, and I think we are too. How many of us have ducked each other this week? We've seen each other, we saw a believer, and we ducked. We walked away. I don't have time to deal with them, Lord. They're so needy. I don't know, I got all these other things to do. Again, my calendar, not much time there. Are we making our lives intentionally available for one another? Greeting each other. Showing hospitality. When was the last time we invited believers into our home? When was the last time we invited the world into our home to show hospitality? And it's, notice what it says here, without grumbling. And so it's like, oh, I, I, fine, I'll have them over. No, don't do it if that's your heart. It's supposed to be without grumbling. In Galatians 6.2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Christ bore our sins. We are to bear one another's burdens. We're to come alongside of each other in our hours of need and comfort one another and strengthen one another. Do you, as we're going through these, do you start seeing that this just doesn't randomly happen? We got to put ourselves out there. In order for us, these are commands of scripture that are given to us because of our identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, if their guy was ever an intentional individual on this planet, it was Jesus. Jesus always put himself right where he needed to be, and he always made time for people. Always. Brothers and sisters, we're to be intentionally available to serve God and fulfill these one another's other scriptures that we won't mention talk about submitting to one another talk about counting others more significant than ourselves seeking to do good oh one of the great verses that we didn't even couldn't even include here it says outdo one another with honor we're supposed to outdo somebody who's like okay uh bill just did this really cool thing for me or i i want to do more and not again but it's not out of like i want to earn bill's favor i want to earn bill's like kudos it's because i'm a christian and i want to just love bill and what's really cool this is mother's day right and i'm not going to ask elijah i'm not going to ask okay so you you know, it was Mother's Day, right? And so hopefully my, my, my son, because Elijah and the, the girls were still at home, hopefully they were loving their mom, right, this morning. Don't know if that happened. We'll probably talk about that later. But <laughs> Ethan and I had to leave early to come here, right? But I don't, this is going to sound weird, but I don't want my kids to love on their mom because it's Mother's Day. I want them to love on their mom because they're children of God. And as a child of God, you know how you're supposed to honor your mother and father because guess, Jesus honored his mom at the cross. He's dying on the cross. And he turns to John. He says, son, behold your mother and mother, behold your son. You want to talk about honoring? That's who we're supposed to identify with. When we love one another, when we care for one another, it's supposed to be because we're in Jesus. Not because it's a burden, but it's because we're identified in him. I got to move on. I'm burning too much time. I apologize. Intentional availability for discipleship. Discipleship is a huge category. 
James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. That gets scary, doesn't it? You know, something happened in first service that was really cool. My neighbor was in the audience. And he's just getting over being sick for three weeks. How many times did I knock on his door to see what he needed? None. I knew he was sick. And I got to confess my sins to my brother this morning. And I got to ask him to hold me accountable to being a better neighbor. Brothers and sisters, that's what this is supposed to look like. We're supposed to be available, and that requires relationship, and that requires intentional availability. You've got to be present in each other's lives. It's scary stuff that happens then. That wasn't the first time I'd asked for forgiveness this week. Thank goodness for God's grace and for brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building. I love that word pursue. It means, again, this is an intentionality with pursuit, isn't there? I'm going after. You pursue the enemy, right? When you're, when you're a soldier, you go pursue the enemy. You do it with intentionality. You always worry about the guy that pursues without intentionality. He's just mad. He jumps out of that foxhole. You're like, he's dead next to the movie, right? But they gathered around, they came up with a game plan, and they intentionally pursue. We want to intentionally pursue by making ourselves available peace. Did you know you have to intentionally pursue peace? It's not something that just comes naturally. You have to intentionally pursue things that mutually build up the body of Christ. We've got this great picture of our church family out of 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. That's, that's kind of our theme verse as a church body. And what's really cool about that verse is we call ourselves living stones, right? But living stones is not the fulfillment of that, you know, is not the fulfillment of that verse. You know what the fulfillment of that verse is? They are built up to be a spiritual house. What a great image. We're built up on each other. And the whole house is being built up and supported by each other. And that the words that we say, the actions that we do to, to each other, for each other, build up. How are our actions, how are our intentional availability doing? Are we being intentionally available to build one another up? Or are we just, you know what, church starts at 1030, I'll get there at 1045, and I'll leave not 1155. Scott will probably go to 12, but I got to be somewhere. So even on a Sunday morning, we don't make ourselves intentionally available. But what would be really cool if we said, you know what, I'm going to intentionally come 15 minutes earlier to the gathering and start engaging because you know what, it's going to happen, you know what's going to happen, it's going to get really cool. You're going to come early, you're going to start having so much fun hanging out with people, getting to know people, that it's going to boil over into the rest of the week and so that we then start growing together in our life group settings in the outside of this building because you're going to like, I can't get enough of these amazing people. It'll happen. I'm telling you, we got some cool people here. We really do. They're amazing. I love, I love our church family. And thank goodness they love me. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. I love this idea. You think, imagine, how many of you took chemistry in school? Right? Man, 
don't be scared. I'm not going to yell if you raise your hand. Chemistry, anybody? Okay. I love chemistry class. I was, I was that kid that just, you know, I loved it. And Elijah, I'm scared for you to take chemistry ever. He wants to blow things up. So you, you combine your elements, right? And he says, pour slowly. So you pour slowly in. And you're supposed to stir gently, right? Because you don't want the reaction to happen too fast, right? Because you agitate the mix and it, go, it activates and goes, right? I'm like, slowly? No, fast. And, right? and, right? and we had a great mess to clean up and I'm staying after class to explain myself, right? But how much fun was that? When I see this verse, this is what I'm imagining. That we stir one another up. We excite one another to love and good works. Not my love. My love's broken. My love stinks. But the love that I get by being identified in Jesus Christ, his love that pours out through me, that's good love. That's love that brings the gospel. That love's, that's a love that points others to Jesus and not to me. As we stir one another, that's what we're supposed to do. Excite one another. Stir one another up to that kind of love. And good deeds. Good works. And again, not that we're trying to earn brownie points with God, but again, because of the work that Christ has done for us, we exemplify that work in our lives as we are living out that identity. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one body. Next week, we're going to dive into this understanding of members of one body as we look at passions that build up. But we're members. We're part of. And this isn't a golf club membership. This isn't a gym membership. This isn't the rotary. This isn't being part of the chamber. When it talks about us being members, the price that was necessary for us to be called members of Christ's body was the very blood of Jesus Christ. And yet we honor our memberships to the Rotary. We honor our memberships to our jobs. We honor our memberships to other things more highly than we honor our memberships to this body. But it took the greatest cost for us to be called members of one body. It's a holy thing. Being part of the church family is a holy, sacred thing. Finally, when I looked at the one another verses, there was one thing that stood out far more than the others. There are 15 one another commands. And what do you think they are around? John especially is famous for them. We are to love one another. That love is sourced in our identity in Jesus Christ. We cannot love apart from that sourcing in Jesus Christ, the way God calls us to love. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Oh man, doggone it. Why can't we just keep it for the church? That's a little bit easier. Then we have the commonality that Jesus is our banner. We rally to him. We love one another because Jesus loved us. We can do that. Why do you got to add that whole other thing for all? That makes it really hard. Yes, that's the point. 
But when our identity is in Jesus Christ, it is possible. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. We cannot say we know that we are identified, that we are children of God if we do not love one another. I don't know if we can grasp that or not, but we sure need to wrestle with it. If you lack love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, and if you lack love for this world who is dying apart from Jesus, how can we say the truth that Jesus is in us? We cannot. Jesus Christ answered the young lawyer who asked him what the greatest commandment was. Poor guy was being told to obey 50,000 commandments. He's like, please, Jesus, I need help. Tell me what the greatest commandment is and I'll do it. And Jesus says, Lord, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. Brothers and sisters, you can't say you love God and not love one another. You can't. We can't. If we're sitting here saying, I don't love that person, then what are we saying to God? That's your creation, God. That bitterness, that anger, that hatred in our hearts has no place there because when we're identified in Jesus Christ, he died so that we could be set free. The Israelites weren't even supposed to hate the Egyptians anymore. They're dead. Look, you're free. Let hate have no place in your heart. 1 John 4, 7, the love let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Experiential knowledge, not just big guy on the sky, but literally knows God relationally and experientially. Beloved, if God so loved us, 1 John 4, 11, we also ought to love one another. In the passage that Darren opened us up with this morning, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of everyone of you for one another is increasing. Yep. Forgot to go ahead on my slides. Happens. What does it look like for us to begin to live this out? Um, still working through a way through a sermon by Giglio, Luis Giglio, on blue jeans. It's a really cool sermon that he delivered at Passion. Glenn turned me on to it. Neith and I were listening to it, going back and forth, working on the scout yesterday. And some very practical things came out of that sermon for us this morning, what it looks like for us to be intentionally available. It means that as parents, we're intentionally available to our kids to serve them and disciple them, that we're intentionally looking for ways to serve and disciple our kids. And children and kids, do you know you can intentionally serve and disciple each other. There's a concept. Employees, employers, 
Are we making time intentionally available in our work weeks to live out our identity, to intentionally serve those people that are our employees, and, and for our fellow employees to serve one another, and maybe for an employee to serve an employer, not because you're trying to brown nose or get a raise, because that's what he's expecting, right? Well, why are you being so nice to me? What do you want, right? That's what we say to our kids, you know? But do we understand that the God wants us to make it and be intentionally available to serve those people, to uh, disciple those people's hearts around us as we live out our identity? Those of us who are homeowners, I mean, we have a lot of people here who, who bought extra properties here who are using property as an investment tool in this region, right? Are we intentionally serving God as we rent out our properties? Are we intentionally, and as renters and as, as people or homeowners, are we intentionally serving God and discipling those as we minister to those people who we rent from? You see, this, this again invades every area and every aspect of our lives. That we're looking to intentionally be available. And, and what's really cool, we can intentionally be available to serve one another in our church family. Do you know this church family has needs? And, and I'm going to throw you a curveball here, and I, hopefully this doesn't smart too much. But for every member of Livingstone Church, You said you'd be part of this family. You said you would engage this family and, and serve this family. In fact, you signed your name dedicating, covenanting, committing yourself to serve this body of believers. But how are we intentionally giving of our time to do that? If we can't care for one another, the scripture tells us that if we cannot demonstrate to the world that we love one another, then we fail in our mission to bring God's truth to the world, that he loves the world. How does the world know that they are loved? Because Christians love each other. We got to love each other. We got to care for each other. We got to intentionally engage each other. So I want you to go home this week, and I want you to think about this question. How does our giving how does our intentional availability, if you were to look at your calendar during the week, how are we intentionally making time? Is it to serve and disciple one another? To care for one another in our church family? I've got to do a better job. We've all got to do a better job in this. And grow together as a body of believers and become part of one another's lives. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that you showed to us. Lord, we have room to confess this morning. And Lord, I pray we do so with repentant hearts and the desire to lean in and to ask ourselves the hard questions, to ask each other the hard questions. What does it look like for me to become intentionally available for my church family and for my community? Lord God, thank you for our identity in Jesus Christ and how he makes it possible to live this out. In Jesus' name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.